Uh, some translations say the work of ministry. And I would suspect that so many of us tend to think almost automatically that the work of ministry is really in the hands of some group of people that we might call the pastors or maybe it's the pastors and the elders, which is kind of a misnomer because all pastors are elders and all elders are pastors. Maybe it's uh, something that the deacons do. In our church, it might be the, the church leadership, that you have a group of people that do the work of ministry. But that, if you look at the text, is not the case. In fact, it actually says uh, the pastors and teachers fulfill a specific role. They have a, a ministry that is their work of service, but they're seeking to in, in encourage the congregation to do the work of service. So everyone in the church is to be engaged in some function that actually benefits the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17, there's a very key verse that says that the Spirit has given various manifestations, the various gifts for the common good of the body. And so there are gifts given, there are uh, uh, abilities that we have in the church, the scriptures, the Bible tells us that we are to be uh, engaged in the lives of one another. But then what does that look like? And so we fleshed out that that by and large is demonstrated to us in the practice of the one another's. There is approximately 59, 60 one another's in the New Testament. And so uh, obviously we're not going to get through all of them today. And we don't have to get through all of them, but we're going to look at a few today. And like I said, we'll, as I have opportunity, we'll remind ourselves of these as we go along. But I'd like to remind you of a few things as we begin that uh, kind of help set the stage for why would we consider the one another's. The Bible is the mind of God, the heart of God put into print. When we read the word of God, we are seeing the very mind of God, what he has revealed of himself, what he has revealed of his will to us. So we see what God desires for mankind to know. We see in the, in the Bible what God desires mankind or says that mankind needs to know. What must we know? Uh, there are 27 books in the New Testament. I hope you knew that. Four of them relate to the life of Christ. We call them the Gospels. One relates to the beginning and early history of the church. That's the book of Acts. 21 are epistles or letters or books, Romans through Jude, and they pertain to guiding Christians to grow, in, uh, to grow and to live a faithful Christian life in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you just want to do some math, and I'm just, uh, some, most of you are like, I don't want to do math, so I'll do the math for you. Okay, so of those 21 books out of 27, that means 78% of the Bible has deals with this issue of growing to live a faithful Christian life. Three quarters of the New Testament is focused on how we live our lives. If you break that down in the chapters, that's 139 out of 260 chapters, 53%. If you break it down into verses, that's one, 5,190 verses out of 7,967. That's 65% of the verses. And if you want to break it down into words, it's 121,145 of 180,506. That's 67% of the entirety of the New Testament devoted to the words, devoted to this one subject, how we live for God, how we live with one another. 
So any way you measure it, by books or by chapters or by verse or by words, over half the testament has to do with how one conducts him or herself after she or he become a Christian. So we need to remember that the scriptures, the Bible, gives us the mind of God in written form. It tells us that there are right ways and wrong ways to live. It tells us that there are right things and wrong things to do. It tells us that there are right beliefs and there are wrong beliefs. And it tells us that there are right behaviors as well as wrong behaviors. You're all on the same page so far? All right. God wants each one of us to help other of, uh, help one another remain faithful and to serve him to the very best of our abilities. So not only are we to be concerned with how we know God and how we are living for him, the scriptures are very clear that we are responsible for one another. See to it, brethren, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. That is you all see to it that no one else does it. So we have a responsibility first of ourselves to God, and then we have a responsibility for one another. And so we begin to examine these one another verses in the New Testament because they tell us how we are to interact with one another. I, just going back, I was thinking about this uh, when we say that we're responsible to live rightly for God, but we also have a responsibility to encourage one another to live rightly for God. What came to my mind was, was Cain's statement. Am I my brother's keeper? And if we were to apply that in this context, and I were to ask you, are you your brother or sister's keeper? You must respond by saying, yes, yes, I am. But what does that mean? What does it look like? How are you going to put that into practice? And that's where the one another's become so incredibly practical. So uh, I've been working on 12 of the 60 one another's, and we'll just see how far we get. And I'm going to begin by having you turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, the book of James. Get myself over there. In James 5, there's an interesting verse that speaks of some of these one another's, and I'll tell you why I'm going to start with this one in just a moment, because you might say, why are we starting here? Well, I'll answer that. Notice in James 5:16 that we have what I will say is our, our first one another, and there's actually two in there if you notice. James writes, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another just lost my place, so that uh, you may, may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can avail much. So we're going to come back to the uh, idea of confessing our sins to one another, but the one that I would encourage us to start with this morning is to pray for one another that we may be healed. I can't think of a better place to start because of all the one another, so many of them are quite dependent upon our being in proximity with one another, and that's why there's the gathering of the saints. You can't do most of these unless you are in proximity with other saints. But when we talk about praying for one another, and I do think primarily the context would be that we're praying for one another in the presence of one another, we are not limited in this endeavor. You can pray for others wherever you are. You can pray for one another any day of the week. 
There's nothing that keeps you from prayer. We recognize that God has given the church a very powerful practice in what we call prayer. We need to pray. We must pray. We pray for ourselves. We are to pray for others. We need to pray for one another. It is a duty that pertains to every single Christian. If you are not praying for others in the body, you are not fulfilling your, you ready for this, your work of service. You say, well, my, my job keeps me busy. Uh, I might have a distance to travel to get to other believers. Okay. But you must pray. I love what John Bunyan said, one of my favorite quotes of John Bunyan. He said, you can do more than pray, but not until you have prayed. And so I think it's an apt place for us to start to consider, what is my prayer life? Am I praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ? And what do you pray for them? Well, I'd like to encourage you with that if you would turn with me to the book of Philippians, or excuse me, Colossians. We could turn to Philippians, but that's not going to help you if I'm in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, there is a prayer. And you think about what ought I pray for my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, we have a prayer list. We have one that uh, a member of our church who's serving our church in this capacity puts together every week a prayer list that gives you all of the needs, all of the cares, all the concerns of, of those things that have been made known to the church. And that's a great place uh, to begin. Uh, but I can't think of praying anything better than what Scripture has us pray for. I can't think of anything better than to pray some of those things for which Paul himself prayed for the church. And so just quickly, if you were wanting to know how might you structure a prayer for others in the church, notice what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to what? To pray, to pray for you, so he's praying for one another, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Isn't that amazing? That what, even what we were talking about this morning, that the idea is I am praying for this specific brother or sister that they would have a deepened knowledge filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It has a purpose. Why should we know God this way? So that, verse 10, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So you're praying for a specific person. Maybe you know something very specific that's going on in their lives, and you can just say, well, I pray that they have success today in that. I pray that they get healed of this particular thing. That's all good, but pray these principles as well so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they may please him in all respects, that they may be bearing fruit in every good work, and they may be what? Increasing in the knowledge of God. So we, that's twice now Paul has said, I want you to be filled with all the knowledge, and I want you to increase in your knowledge. goes on in verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the obtaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Very short prayer, but I would encourage you, if you think about praying 
for this church and praying for specific individuals when you know those specific needs, would you seek to bring these ideas into it? There's other prayers in the New Testament. There's other prayers in the Old Testament. You can read the Psalms, and you need to think in terms as you read through the Psalms. What might I pray for myself? But what might I also pray for a particular brother or sister? I would imagine that if you are engaged with anybody in this, in this room, to any extent, you know something of what's going on in their life, whether for good or for bad. And you can now take that to the Lord in prayer. We must pray for one another. Well, let me give you another one. If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to look at another one another. My selection of the 12 is just my selection of the 12. There's nothing divine in it uh, apart from the word of God. That's divine. There's nothing magical about this, but these are just the way that I would like to unfold them to you. So in Hebrews chapter 3, be, be, look with me at verse tw- verses 12 and 13. We, I kind of uh, already men- made mention of these two. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, just stop there. That's like a call, isn't it? That's a warning. Look around at the body in which you are uh, a part of and take care that there's not found anyone like this. And then in verse 13, he kind of, the, the author gives the remedy, right? But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This very command supposes a state of close church fellowship. This requires that we are so engaged with one another that even at the inkling that someone is is perhaps struggling with these things, there are those who are aware. There are those who will be able to uh, address those things. You would never know this if you're not connected to one another. The brothers are encourage are, are to encourage one another we're we're familiar with that word encourage it is that word parakaleo to come alongside it can mean to help it can mean to aid it can mean to exhort it can mean to reprove to correct it's got this broad idea we need to be doing this for one another it's not just being there to put your arm around somebody when things are hard it is also just being there to, to provide scriptural uh, support, uh, scriptural direction in, in a decision that's being made. It is so encompassing. But what gets me, and I know I've preached on this before, but what ought to get our attention, and I would encourage you to think about in verse 13 is this, but encourage one another, there's the command, find a time to come alongside others, by the way, that can't, all, that can't happen. In fact, it would rarely happen only on a Sunday morning, right? But encourage one another. And then what's the phrase I'm about to read? Day after day. Day after day. Beloved, there is a responsibility to be a daily encouragement. So who are you able to, you know, you can't do this for everyone in the church, nor are we expected to do this for everyone in the church. But there is an expectation that you would be reaching out to various individuals throughout the week, that you would be trying to find a way to encourage them. You might meet with them, you might not. You might send a text message to them, you might give them a phone call. But the idea is you can't not do this. 
There's a responsibility because you have been given uh, scriptural principles week after week from the pulpit, and now you're supposed to take that truth and you're to apply it to the work of service and say, now how can I encourage one another with this, or how can I pray for someone with this knowledge? Make it very practical. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. I get frustrated sometimes with myself, and I can get frustrated with others at the thought, like, oh, I don't know what to do. Well, just take what you've just heard and say, God, let me find a way of, of taking what I've just heard and applying it. So take the sermon that you heard this morning and take it to the Lord in prayer. Pray for others with regard to that. And then ask yourself, God, who, who might I encourage, and, and is there something from this that I might encourage them with? It doesn't have to only come from your sermon. Or from the sermon. It can come from your own Bible reading or your own study. But what what is being made known here is that we must be doing it. We must encourage and exhort our brothers regularly. Why? Because we belong to the same fellowship. We are part of the same family, certainly the same broad, overarching, universal family of God, but this is our local expression of it. We've got to figure out how to, to get along sometimes. We have to figure out how to, to get beyond our, our little cliques, the, the people that we're the most comfortable with, to speak to people that maybe we're not as comfortable with. But we are to do this. We belong to the same fellowship. We are part of the same family. And therefore, we each have a responsibility to help one another. While some may need more encouragement than others, we must be there for each other and all others who are part of the family of God. It's going to ebb and flow. Some of you are like, I mean, you're like the, uh, you're like the Great Wall of China. I mean, I'm, nothing's getting past me. I don't need anything. I've been here for a thousand years, and so you don't think you need a lot of encouragement. Well, you might need to break some of those walls down a little bit. Some of you are like a uh, old picket fence that has nothing but holes in it, and you're like, can you please come and help me because i got to put these pickets back up, and I, they're falling down faster than I can pick them up. But the idea is that we, are ha we have that responsibility to one another. Why? Because it's a safeguard against believers turning away from the Lord. There's, you've heard the analogy before, but if believers are like hot coals, you know the best way to get a hot coal not hot anymore? Remove it from its source of other coals. You take that coal and you put it off by itself, and it is guaranteed to cool off rapidly. And so the idea here in our text is that this becomes a safeguard if we are constantly reaching out. Now, again, I, I want to just be as transparent as possible. That is part and parcel a, uh, a responsibility of the shepherds of the church. Elders are to do that. But you are to do it. And you're to do it. There's more of you than there are elders, which means it should be happening at a greater pace amongst the congregation than it is even amongst the elders who are doing it to, but to set an example, but you're doing the work of service. And so that becomes a protection, again, that keep uh, people from turning away from God because they're being encouraged. Brothers should continually remind one another uh, to turn away from their sins. If you see sin, you have an obligation to encourage, hey, uh, to encourage or to reprove. Is that the best thing you can be doing right now? Is that something you should be doing at all? Can we look at the scriptures? Can I pray for you on this particular issue? What is to be our focus? This is an easy Sunday school question. What is your focus? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at God's right hand. Jesus Christ is to come to have 
first place in everything. Well, we know all of this, but how many of us need to sometimes be reminded? Again, my lovely wife, I know you know this, but Scripture says. And so we remind ourselves over and over because it keeps us from falling away from the Lord. The, the, the writer of Hebrews here urges believers to be alert for themselves and to encourage one, one another. You must be alert for yourself and encourage one another. Why? A person cannot encourage or be encouraged apart from fellowship. You've got to be connected first to God, and then you must be connected to the body of Christ. A person, uh, uh, believers are to be uh, not to give up the gathering of the saints. The author of Hebrews will say that later in chapter 10, right? Uh, we are not in the, to neglect the gathering of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. But all the more we're to be doing this as we see the day approaching. Uh, beloved, we are to be a gathered people. We gather on Sundays, certainly, but there's another, there are other avenues by which you might gather. We cannot, as Christians, live in a vacuum. And I think we tend to isolate ourselves. And we forget that our Christianity is a Christianity that's based on a relationship to Christ and a relationship to Christ's people. And so the more that we can do that, the more that we encourage one another. And we, we, we need to recognize that. So I would submit to you that we need to have more individual vigilance. I would tell you that to whatever extent that you seek to encourage others, what am I about to say? This 2022, this is all old news. Excel still more. Be more vigilant. If you, if you have a pattern of encouraging people, now try to, to expand it to even more people. If you haven't, well, get busy because this is God's call for you. This is what your ministry is. It isn't just about what some people do. Uh, again, the elders or a few people who teach Sunday school class. The work of ministry should be carried on by the church every day of the week as often as possible. And how do you do it? Do the one another's. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. We need to encourage and correct our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to allow other Christians to encourage and correct us so that we do not find ourselves in a position where we say, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to pay attention to you. We don't want to simply wait for the pastor or an elder or a deacon to encourage someone else. The text is clear. Each person, including you, has the responsibility to this end. Galatians 6.2 is one of those other one another's. I'm not, I, I am mentioning it right now, but it says this. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Now that, I don't know if you, that sounds great. That should be on a card, right? Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. It's not always easy to do. I want to commend this congregation. Uh, there's been a number of things this congregation has done uh, over the past several months, but uh, whether it's taking care of a, of a widow and taking care of some uh, issues uh, in a home, uh, we, we recognize that there were some great burdens that needed to be borne uh, bore, uh, in that circumstance, and some of you have done that to such an extent that it is such an incredible picture of the love of Christ. And so I thank you for that. But remember, all of this is in the present tense. <clears throat> Bear one another's burdens and keep on bearing them and never stop bearing them. So as soon as you've finished bearing one person's problems, guess what? There's always someone else 
isn't there? And you, sometimes in ministry you just want to say, wow, can I just get a break? And God says, nope, keep going. Keep going till you're dead, right? Then you can rest. Uh, and so it might have to take on a different form, but we must bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Unfortunately, many of us at times end up discouraged rather than encouraged by other Christians. So we need to be attentive that we take opportunities to actively encourage others. It's, it shouldn't be a second thought. It should be the first thing we think, how can I? To recognize that I don't want to be an, a discouragement to a person, but rather an encouragement. You know, we have to give an account. We'll give an account to the Lord for the way that we've treated one another. And so we want to make sure that we're doing the best we can. Without constant self-evaluation then, without seeking to constantly be an encouragement, a person's sin can become a deceived mind, and a deceived mind turns to a hardened heart, and a hardened heart leads to unbelief and rejection of Christ. So it's interesting that the author of Hebrews says, see to it, take care, beware, that, none, that, this, that this doesn't take place because it implies that we don't always know where everybody's at in a, in a given congregation. There may be those among us who have professed Christ, but they have not really known Christ. And so we have to encourage them with the word of God so that they will be found either firm in their faith or they will come to recognize they have not yet come to faith. Beloved, sin is subtle. Sin is tricky. Sin is, you ready for this? Sin is enjoyable. We like to sin. Our flesh revels in the sin. Every one of us is easily drawn to sin. If there's no protection, there's no escape from sin. Christians need one another so that we do not become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It, uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about this verse uh, earlier in my new Bible reading. And, uh, of course, read about uh, Cain and God's comment to Cain, he said that sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you and you must have mastery over it. That's still true. Sin is crouching at every one of our doors. And, and I, I'm going to give you this one uh, more illustration, I, and I may have shared this before I, with some of you, but... Uh, when I was an intern in Grand Junction, we had a man that uh, loved to go out and go a deer and elk hunting. And he'd go out by himself, and he would perch himself up on some cliff, and he would uh, just over some little valley area, and he'd just sit there, and, and if there were nothing going by, he would just meditate on the things of the Lord, and, and uh, he just enjoyed that time, and sometimes something would come by, and he would have that. And he was out there one uh, morning, and he was not, nothing was moving, that he could tell, but he kept having the eerie feeling that he was being watched. You know, I don't know, it's just kind of weird. I'm being watched, I'm being watched. So he's out there for quite some time, and he's like, nothing's happening. And he had set his, his rifle to his side because he was just sitting there meditating, and he thought, well, I need to go ahead and leave. And he stands up, and he turns around, and on the cliff just above him was perched a mountain lion in a crouching position, ready to pounce. Needless to say, his heart was pounding at that particular moment because he's standing, the gun's way down there, what do you do? So he's just standing there. And I'm sure there were all kinds of frantic prayers going on in his mind. 
And for whatever reason, probably simply because he got up and turned around that mountain lion then did back off and move away because they would rather uh, be sneaky, you know, on that. Why do I share all of that? <coughs> um, for you hunters, I'm not trying to say you should always go in twos, but if there were several hunters around, somebody would have been there to see that, and somebody could have warned him. There's a mountain lion heading your way. You need to be on the alert. But because he was isolated, sin was crouching, and it was ready to devour him. And so I just want to use that as an illustration that we need one another and we need one another in, in our lives that way so that we can see. You might be able to see how a sin is crouching at the door. And so you can say, watch out. Let's get that taken care of. Satan is the author of sin, we know. In fact, Satan is so intelligent that he can and he does deceive people and you know what surprises me about it? I shouldn't say surprises me. What's amazing, and we don't always put it in these terms, Satan is so intelligent that he can get the most intelligent and seemingly faithful people to fall for his lies. You talk about scary. No one is smart enough on his or her own to outthink the wiles of the devil. Greater is he than is, that is in you than he who is in the world, yes, and God will protect those who are his, yes, but he hasn't asked you to do it alone. He says, encourage one another. Beloved, we protect uh, against sin's deceitfulness by checking our private intentions and desires against, uh, um, against those of a group of trusted Christian friends. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through right now, and I think my course of action should be this way. And then you have trusted Christian friends come alongside. No, that's not what God's word says. If you do that, there's harm ahead. Please, let's look at the word of God, and let's find out the best course of action. But if you're isolated, you will be succumbed. And so we want to have a group of trusted friends, and then we check even the group's intentions and desires against what? The teachings of the word of God. Because it's possible that you can have 10 people telling you one thing and it's not according to God's word and you might have to stand alone. But if you've trusted these folks and there's 10 people telling you one thing and you're the only one going the other direction, you might need to say, God, give me eyes to see because I don't want to be deceived. Well, let's look at uh, one other uh, one I think we can get uh, through to this morning, and that's uh, found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I know it's not that far uh, ago, long ago that we have been in the book of 1 Thessalonians, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, we find <coughs> an encouragement here, or a, uh, excuse me, a one another here, and we read beginning in verse 9, I, and I, I could just do verse 11, but I just like verse 9, so I want you to hear it. So here we go. For God has not destined us for wrath. Can we be Baptist for a moment? Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Again, amen. Therefore... 
because of what God has not destined us to, because of what God has given to us, because God, this is true for all of God's children, therefore, encourage one another, that's the word we just looked at, and what? Build up one another just as you also are doing. We are to build up. The word could be translated as to edify. An edifice is a building. We are building a building. We are a holy priesthood. We are each individual stones being built upon the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. Our desire ought to be, let's do this to the glory of God. Let's build something that is wondrous. And how do we do that? You don't do it by yourself. I'm just one stone. I'm going to go plop myself here. And now everything's glorious. No, the idea is we are building up one another. We are making one another better. We are making one another look more glorious because we're applying the glory of God. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 14 verse 19 says, Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may build up another. We are to be striving for the things of peace that we may be building up one another. We are to strive to build up one another, not tear down. And, and isn't that, it's such a catch in all of that. Because sometimes in order to build up, we say, you have to tear down. But this is the, the intention of the heart here. We are not seeking to destroy people. We're seeking to see people built up in the faith. That's the idea. Even a muscle builder, right, bodybuilder, what is he doing when he does those repetitions? He's tearing down the muscles so that they come back even stronger. So there's a difference between calling out a sin and calling out those things that may not make for peace and then building up one another or, or actually uh, trying to tear down somebody. As Christians, we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house, and so we should endeavor to promote the good of the entirety of the church because in one sense, and, and this would be true of the church worldwide, but we have to practice in this local church. Our church is only as beautiful as the most, uh, as the, I'm, this is not my notes, so I'm trying to see if this says, our church is only as beautiful as the most ugly part. But God makes all things beautiful in their time. So when we see something that's ugly in our church, our goal should be how do we put that into a place where it becomes beautiful? That's building up. That's building up. And so we should communicate what we know about God. We should be communicating what we've experienced from God to one another. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That whole chapter begins with basically, I'll sum up the idea this way, that... Uh, we are to comfort one another with the comfort that we've received from God. So you've been comforted by God. So now you use all that you've experienced from God as he brings you comfort so that you can comfort others in their sufferings and their sorrows and their distress. And so we should join in prayer and praise with one another. We should seek to set a good example before one another of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians will never stop needing encouragement and never stop needing building up. And so I find it fascinating in the 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, uh, 
5.11 passage that those two ideas are married. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. You can't do one without the other, and if you try to only do one, you, you are, well, I mean, you, you can't do one without the other. There's just, just no way to do it. If you're encouraging, you're building up, and if you're building up, you're encouraging. If you're not doing that, what are you doing? You might want to say you're tearing down, and you could say that, but ultimately you're just allowing the laws of nature to have their effect. It's not going to, it's just going to begin to what? Crumble over time. And so, we'll never stop needing encouragement or building up. <coughs> it seems that um, when uh, a few years ago I, I was teaching a uh, Bible class uh, for a homeschool group, and um, that was an experience. Some of you are like, well, why? Well, I, I, don't want, I don't want to tell you why. I just, uh, <laughs> what I found was necessary is how I had to constantly encourage those kids to just do the work that they've been asked to do. If I stopped encouraging them, what would happen? They stopped working. So part of my lesson plan was not just here's, Here's what the Old Testament says. It was okay. Now we've done this, and you've got these projects coming up. What do you need to get the job done? What do you need? How can I encourage you to get this done? Uh, what's your week like? I've had to tell someone, well, I've got all these things going on. Okay, well, let's just walk through this. And what times, uh, what are you doing on Wednesday at 3 o'clock? Well, I don't have anything going on then. Then that's when you work on this. And we need to be like that. We need to be trying to not allow people to have excuses by which they can get out of what they know or we know is their responsibility. So that principle should be applied to the church as well. Okay, I have enough time, so we're going to do one more. And, and that's going to go back to James 5.16. So I love this because I can practice circling back and actually do it uh, in I'm going to get myself in trouble. We're going to go back to the verse that we started with. This will be our last uh, consideration. We've considered, of course, uh, these, these uh, uh, well, this will be our fourth one, that we are to, first of all, pray for one another, that we are to encourage one another, that we are to build one another up. And now we're going to talk very briefly about confessing our sins to one another. It says there in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. Wow. That one seems a little bit intense, does it not? We are to confess our sins to one another. Uh, this spiritual truth must be used. The Bible says to do it. If the Bible says it, we're supposed to do it. So this spiritual truth is to be used but not abused. The spiritual truth is to be applied. We must apply it. As often as we can, it must not be misapplied. This truth is to be rightly taught. What does it really mean? Not wrongly taught. Let me tell you what the passage does not say. That, that's sometimes helpful, right? The passage does not say, confess your sins to a formally robed priest. It does not say, confess your sins to an elder. You can, but that's not what it says. It does not say confess your sins to a deacon. You can, but that's not what it says. You can, it does not say you can confess your sins to a pastor. 
you can. That's not what it says. You get in the drift here? It does not say you confess your sins to an evangelist. It does not say you must confess your sins to a teacher. You can, but that's not what it says. What does it say, Peter? Confess your sins to one another. There ought to be people that you trust within the body of Christ that you can say, this is where, this, this is what I'm struggling with. This is the sin that I'm, I'm going through. Would you pray for me? Confessing our sins, what does that mean? What kind of sins are we talking about? Well, we're talking about sins. But so often what needs to be confessed are things like resentment, holding grudges, lack of forgiveness. Do you know that according to God's word, holding on to such things often does and will lead to, uh, uh, will lead to experiencing a physical ailment because of the stress that's brought on by those sins? So one of the first things should be uh, that we ask ourselves, are there any sins that I need to confess? Not just to God, but to, to the person that I'm, I'm holding the grudge against. Christ has made it possible for us to go directly to God for forgiveness. You do not need a priest. You do not need a pastor. But confessing our sins to one another still has an important place in the life of the church because God's put it there. If we have sinned against an individual, we are duty-bound to ask that person to forgive us. If our sin has affected the church, we are duty-bound to confess it publicly. If we need loving support as we struggle with a sin, we should confess the sin to those who are able to provide the support. You know, if you just say, I'm, I, have a, hey, I have an unspoken sin issue that I need you to pray with me, what good is that? Because now nobody can come alongside and say, how can, I, how can I help you with that? If after confessing a private sin to God, we still do not feel his forgiveness, we may wish to confess that sin to a fellow believer and hear him or her reassure us that God does indeed pardon. So you say, I don't feel that I'm forgiven by God. Okay, I get it. That's a feeling. But let's see what God has promised in his word. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and righteous to what? Forgive us. I don't feel it. You know what? Sometimes it's not about feeling. It's what God has said. The feelings will come as you simply say, God, thank you for the truth of your word. Help me now experience it. But I will not deny what your word has said is true. Beloved, it is not God's plan that his people be alone. It is God's plan that we would fellowship together and that we would do the work of service, which means to pray for one another, to encourage one another day after day, to build up one another, and to confess our sins to one another. So I'm going to close with that in when I have another opportunity, you'll get a few more, but that's probably enough to work with for right now, right? So let's close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for saving us. That we who are sinners who have nothing to offer you, that have nothing to, to make us, to, to make you look at us with any kind of favor that you 
would have pity on us, compassion for us, would demonstrate your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, you would send Christ to die for us. Father, we know that Jesus Christ is our supreme example and that the one another's are actually reflections of the way he ministered to those around him while he walked this earth. And now, Father, we pray for the grace. We pray for that divine enablement that would allow us to fulfill these purposes in our lives. I pray that this would not be something we first and foremost look and say, I, I hope that those other people will be doing this in the church. I pray, Father God, that the concern this morning will be, Father, help me be one who truly serves others in the body of Christ as you have called me to do that. And so, Father, thank you for these exhortations. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you for the joy that comes from the promises that as we do these things, not only are we pleasing to you, but we find joy even in the heartaches of ministry. We find joy even as we uh, go through difficult trials and circumstances as we bear one another's burdens because we know that we're doing it in the power of God for the glory of God, for the people of God, so that Jesus Christ would be exalted. So thank you for these truths. Help us apply them, we pray in Jesus' name.